Welcome to Next Education Workforce, a podcast on redesigning education for learners and educators. I'm Brent Madden, Executive Director of Next Education Workforce at Arizona State University's Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. I'm so excited to be joined today by Ron Baghetto. He's a professor and Pinnacle West Presidential Chair here at Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College and an internationally recognized expert on creative thought and action in educational settings. Ron's the editor for several journals, including the Journal of Creative Behavior, and he's also a creativity advisor for Lego Foundation. Today, we're going to talk about creativity, beautiful risks, and how we can improve education for all learners. Hey, Ron, it's uh, so good to have you here. Thanks for uh, joining us on this podcast. I'm thrilled to be here, Brent. Thank you for having me. This idea of much broader outcomes for kids and for educators. What are your thoughts on the direction that American or even international teaching and learning is going with respect to something that isn't just about mathematics and reading achievement for young people? I think what we're seeing internationally is a recognition that the things that we've been doing in this place called school are important kind of skills and content and and knowledge development. I think where we've been kind of falling short is equipping young people and even teachers with learning how to put that learning to creative use right now rather than kind of this kind of someday promissory note message that we all can get in school, right? Someday this is going to be useful. You're going to need this in high school. You're going to need this on the workforce. You're going to need this in college. What about right now? Can we create learning experiences where young people are encountering uncertainty in meaningful ways and in structured ways so that they can kind of develop their capacity and confidence to take what they're learning or even their own kind of creative capacity and potential and put that to creative use, to address real world problems, to make a difference in their world around them. So that could be in their schools, their communities, or beyond. There's some adage about you get what you measure or something like this. What are your thoughts on on sort of say the measurement of creativity and is there any inherent risk in trying to measure it? The measurement of creativity and creativity assessment is a huge component of the field of creativity studies, mostly for the purpose of research, right, to study the phenomenon itself. What I would say in education, the real litmus test is let's put it to the test, right? Let's create situations where young people actually get to identify problems that matter to them, build an argument for why these problems are important, and then try to do something about it. Partner with outside experts, community members, and really try to put that kind of learning to creative use. So you don't really need a new assessment or a new type of measurement. What you need are opportunities for students to do this. And then through the process of doing it, kids can kind of, we do have like these exhibitions of learning, for example, where they can kind of tell the story of their process. So even if they try something that doesn't work out, they're going to still learn from it. So they can kind of do an exhibition of learning and talk about what were the setbacks? How did they overcome them? What would they have done differently? What did they learn about the situation? What did they learn about themselves? So that doesn't require any kind of new form of assessment. It just requires an opportunity to give young people an opportunity to kind of put forth their creative agency and try to do something that builds their confidence, but more importantly, may make a positive contribution to the learning and lives of others. That's awesome. Uh, resonates with me deeply. I think is totally aligned with what we're talking about in terms of broader student outcomes associated with the next education workforce. If you could whisper in the ear of, a, say, a policymaker, what would you say? Like, how might we advance this ambition of what you're describing? 
So it probably wouldn't be a whisper. It'd probably be a, a little bit more of a bold statement. What I would say is we are really overstructuring and overplanning young people's and educators' experiences in this place called school. So I think we spend so much time planning everything down to the last minute and trying to kind of anticipate and predetermine how students are going to respond and all these different things as a way to kind of try to engineer uncertainty out of those spaces. What I would say is let's bring uncertainty in. Let's kind of approach teaching as uncertainty by design, still providing structures and supports, but maybe in a more wireframed way. So I think what that requires us to do is trust educators, trust young people that with the supports and structure in place that they can actually use that uncertainty to produce new forms of learning and you know creative outcomes on their own that we can't even imagine. They're kind of to be determined. That's what I would say we need more of, our opportunities that actually allow teachers and young people to have some agency in their learning and to be the authors of their own creative lives. It makes me wonder about one of these uh, primary features of the next education workforce, this idea that we have a, a team of educators with distributed expertise, uh, you know, maybe unique superpowers, if you will. How important do you think sort of a team-based approach is to uh, the reality that you're describing? What's at the heart of kind of any creative thought or action, and that is that it thrives in difference. So I think the more perspectives that you can bring into a space, particularly, you know, adults that bring in different kind of assets and skills and experiences, which young people already are bringing to the table as well, right? So the more perspectives, the better. And so what I'm talking about isn't completely radically transforming the curriculum. It's just about taking an overstructured, overplanned curriculum and kind of unplanning it a little bit, removing some of the redundancies, creating spaces for these kind of to be determined elements. If you have adults in there who have a variety of experiences and skill sets, they can kind of support this process. So I think students would get the support they need in that context. But the other thing is, if you're going to do this kind of work, you have to be willing to connect with people outside of the school space, the local assets and strengths that are living in the communities that surround those schools. The more perspectives you bring in, as long as they're kind of on board for really thinking about how can we provide these opportunities to really right now build students' creative agency, then I think it could be a really powerful transformative space. And it doesn't require completely throwing out the curriculum. It just requires opening it up in different spaces across all subject areas. That's great. So where have you seen this work? I think you see this work in these kind of one-off spaces where you maybe have a teacher who's willing to try this out. In after-school clubs, you see this in things like design-based educational projects, project-based learning. But these are usually these one-off things and sometimes can turn into what I call like glorified kind of technological macaroni art, right? So maybe they get a new 3D printer and they want to try it out and they're going to prototype something. And then that just gets thrown in the bin, just like old time macaroni art or something like that. So I think the the thing that we really want to push towards are sustainable projects, projects that live on, right? So building these kind of legacy type projects. And so there are teachers who do think ahead this way and kind of bake sustainability in. So they realize like, if I'm working with a group of eighth graders that are leaving to high school, can I get some seventh graders involved to carry this work forward? And in better yet, can we get the eighth graders to kind of recruit some seventh graders to continue this work. So grab a magic wand and tell me how we might go about uh, training and developing teachers and leaders differently. 
given what's happening with the next education workforce, that's already kind of a disruptive in a positive way movement, right? It's going to require people to reimagine the role and identity of, of themselves, of educational leaders, of teachers differently. If we were to rethink what is the role that educators can play, educators are designers, but I think we tend to over-design, over-plan everything. So what if we just got down to like, okay, what are the non-negotiables of this learning experience? Can we kind of wireframe it out? And all the other stuff that teachers usually provide or educational leaders usually provide for their teams of teachers or their districts, it's almost like everything's predetermined. What if we just helped leaders and teachers, since they're already kind of reimagined their place in this kind of new vision for a workforce, but if we also help them imagine like, you're not alone in this process. Your job is to kind of design the kind of parameters, the non-negotiables. You can also bring in outside experts, right? So what if we opened up the curriculum a little bit, and if you have some students that are interested in designing an app to kind of monitor pollution or whatever the case may be, can we kind of support those kinds of experiences? And can we rethink the role? So instead of like predetermining that, the teachers are kind of like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, let me see if I can connect this to some of the non-negotiable standards that I am contracted to teach. So can we kind of retrospectively see as this works moving forward, what is it connecting to? What kinds of standard outcomes, learning outcomes is it connecting to? And I think you'll see that. It'll start connecting across the curriculum. And there might be places where it doesn't, and then they can rethink that. Well, maybe I do need to teach this in a much more direct way. And we can just kind of make sure that we cover that because in this community, we agreed that students need to learn this. So this is kind of a both-and approach. It's not an either-or approach. When you have more people involved, more perspectives involved, you have more flexibility in how you meet outcomes. And you don't have to jettison everything. You can do both-and, but you have to create a new sense of who you are as the educator, which means you don't have to know everything, but you can find out who does know something that's needed, you know, just kind of this just-in-time learning, right? How do you partner with somebody when you are kind of at the end of your resources or knowledge on a certain topic? Can you help young people reach out and connect to those folks? So I think those kinds of things, you can start small, you start building your confidence and efficacy as a teacher and an educational leader, and you start building the ethos where saying, I don't know, is actually a signifier of competence, right? Love to hear your thoughts about diversity, equity, and inclusion. The intersection between your work and this idea of uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think the way schools have typically been designed out of a kind of imperative of efficiency to educate massive numbers of young people, I think that unintended and negative side effect of that is these spaces privilege sameness. You have the same group of kids doing the same thing at the same time with the same teacher and kids that have a similar social, cultural, historical experience as their teachers are more likely to be successful in those spaces because in that kind of space where everything's predetermined in advance, the way you're successful at school is not not only do what's expected, but do it how it's expected. Now, there are times when you need to know how to do that as a young person, like safety measures in a chemistry lab, right? You don't want to kind of be making up your own kind of safety rules for dealing with dangerous chemicals or something like that. But in the vast majority, I would argue, of cases of experiences that we design, we can engineer in opportunities where difference can thrive and thereby creativity can thrive. And when you start doing that, when you start realizing kids don't need to meet these criteria in the same way or even the expected way, then it opens up new opportunities for inclusiveness, equity, and diversity, right? A kid who has to do it the same way 
And in the expected way, it might look like that kid is missing something when actually we're not tapping into the assets and resources this kid could bring. So if you really open that up and you allow kids to do things differently, meet criteria differently, then even the teacher can learn. In math, for example, we typically teach a type of problem and a way to solve it. And then we assign 12 problems and you're expected to solve it in the way that was taught and arrive at the answer. So, okay, great. That you can learn through kind of repetition like that. However, what if you also just assign one problem, say, come up with as many different ways as you can solve this as possible. You know, in one of our books, you know, Nurturing Creativity in the Classroom, there's an example in a chapter where a teacher did that and the students generated over a dozen new and mathematically accurate ways of doing that. So that's kind of the benefit of doing this is if you allow for kids to meet and you expect them to meet criteria in different ways, then it does create a space where you can be much more inclusive. It can be much more equitable and it can definitely honor difference and diversity. Part of the problem is, again, there are only a tiny, tiny fraction of young people that ever get to experience this kind of curricular experience. And those kids are usually in gifted and talented programs, right? And by design, those programs usually select 10% or less of the student population to be in there. So you're already excluding a whole host of kids who could maybe thrive in those kinds of curricular experiences, but we would never know because it's such a narrow criteria to bring them in. Part of this work requires making sure that if we're going to do this kind of work, making sure that all students have access to those. That's kind of the access issue there, right? The inclusiveness issue is we need to include all young people in these kinds of experiences. And I think by doing so, it'll enrich in the entire experience for everyone. I love that. And I love the commitment to all in this work. It just makes a ton of sense. If you could uh, recommend something for us to watch or read What should we be checking out right now? You can go to my website and I have links to kind of my work and collaborations I've done. I'm a creativity advisor for the Lego Foundation, for example. That's kind of an international group that's trying to reimagine um, creativity, learning and play and the intersectionalities are along those three areas. And so they put out a publication on how do we assess creativity? And it's kind of a variety of different approaches for doing that. So I think there's interesting work being done out there. What I would encourage people to do is to look for what kinds of experiences are schools providing young people to do this kind of work? What needs to happen to make that shift? So in my one of my recent books, Beautiful Risks, I talk about like, you know, the beautiful risk of going off script sometimes, right? The beautiful risk of creating these kind of creative curricular experiences, the beautiful risk of trying to support creative learning. There are resources out there, but I think we do need to make some very kind of principled changes and transformations. And I think that's exactly what the next education workforce is doing. So I'm thrilled to be part of the conversation and, and part of the work. Uh, thank you for your time. And you. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we can't wait to keep learning from you. Awesome. Likewise. That was Ron Baghetto, Professor and Pinnacle West Presidential Chair here at Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. He's a featured expert at our National Next Education Workforce convening. The January event where we ask and answer questions of equity, deeper and personalized learning, and how to build a more effective and sustainable education workforce. You'll find a link to register in the show notes or visit workforce.education.asu.edu. To learn more about Ron and his work, visit ronaldbaghetto.com or join us in January. Make sure you subscribe for more conversations with education experts. 
We also love hearing your feedback. So tag us on social with hashtag Next Education Workforce. Thanks for listening. Be well, be safe, keep learning. Until next time.